Good morning, Sanctus Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Just in case you're wondering how I'm doing, I feel actually pretty accomplished this weekend. Uh, I survived 48 hours with all four of my kids all by myself. So pat on the back and blessings to all you moms out there that do that every single day. <laughs> um, but we're in Galatians 5.1 uh, this morning, so you could turn there with me. And uh, we're continuing our series in the series of Galatians. And uh, as, we, as we get uh, turned there, as we uh, flip there on your virtual Bible, whatever, I, I just want to share my heart with you, my hope and my prayer for you uh, this morning. And, and it's simply this. I was wrestling with this passage all week, and I was moving back and forth, back and forth from, oh, I love this passage, it's so good, to I wish Pastor John gave me a different passage because I don't know how to uh, dissect this passage. Uh, but this is what I want you to know. Like, no matter where you're at this morning, like when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, if it's existent or non-existent, Meaning if you call yourself a follower of Jesus or maybe you are just exploring Christianity, uh, welcome to you. Uh, maybe you are from another religion, uh, a Muslim or Hindu, just exploring to see what this church thing is all about. Maybe you are an, a, an atheist, a, a, a agnostic. Uh, maybe you don't even consider yourself to be religious and you're just here uh, as a favor to your mom. Like wherever you're at, uh, we're all human beings, and I know this to be true. As human beings, we all have this need, this deep longing at a soul level, and it's this. We have this longing to be free. We have this longing for freedom. Nothing says freedom to me uh, other than the first time that you get your driver's license. Anybody remember that? The first time you got your driver's license? Uh, I, I don't know about you, but the first car that I had, that I drove, was uh, our family car, and that was a 92 Toyota Corolla station wagon. Uh, it was the dopest ride. And uh, I loved it because I, I had so many memories attached to this car. Uh, not only did my family drive up in that car from California to BC when we moved to Canada in 92, uh, we traveled around the States, did many road trips. But one of my favorite memories, my favorite memory was the first time I got into that car all by myself and drove off, leaving my parents behind into utter freedom. Do whatever I want to do, go wherever I want to go. Freedom. Freedom is a quest that we are all on. If you know it or not, if you realize it or not, it's a quest that you start off on at a young age. And some of us, we're, we're pursuing freedom. And we're pursuing it in different ways. Because some of us have bought into some of the ideas that culture and the world around us have fed us. So, so some of you this morning, you might be pursuing sexual freedom, thinking that that's going to get you that fulfillment that you want in your life. Some of you are pursuing financial freedom. Some of you are pursuing freedom from addiction. Some of you are maybe pursuing freedom from religion. But wherever you're at this morning, Paul is going to open up this chapter by telling us that there's only one true way to be free. That is if you want total freedom. There's only one true way. And this is how he starts in Galatians 5, verse 1. You can read there with me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. 
Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts... The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we just come into your presence this morning, and we ask that you would just speak. Just speak to us in a unique way. Speak to us in a deep way. Just speak to our hearts just where we're at. Show us your faithfulness. Tell us about your love. Help us to understand your grace. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us and change us and transform us, that we would walk out of this place not the same way that we walked in. For your glory, amen. So right out of the gate, Paul is like, for freedom, Christ has set you free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. And just to refresh all of our memory, uh, because I'll be the first one to admit, usually I forget what was said on Sunday by Tuesday morning. Uh, Just a real quick recap. The Galatians, we find them um, in this place where these Jewish leaders have invaded their church, their community, and they've started to ask and tell them that, hey, you need to add to the gospel. They've actually come in and they've started to distort the gospel. They're saying that, yeah, you believe that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is true. That's right. And that is part of Christianity. But in order to be in a relationship with God, what you need to do, what you need to add is you also need to get snipped or circumcised. And throughout this series, what we're learning is, in other words, what they're saying is to be totally free from your pagan past and transferred into the family of God. You just don't need Jesus. You also need the law and circumcision. And Pastor John has been summarizing this statement throughout with this one equation. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's the true gospel. But putting myself in the shoes of the Galatians, I understand their confusion. Because what we need to remember is that these Galatians, they're, they're new believers. They're new to the faith. And anybody being new to the faith can get confused really easily. And I I was just looking back to my conversion story. And when I was thinking about it, it wasn't like this epic experience. Heaven didn't open. A light didn't shine down on me. I didn't have electricity like flow through my body. and, And I wasn't like totally transformed into a new person right there on the spot. And what I mean for that, what I mean by that is like I still struggled with sin. I still didn't totally feel free, but I knew that something happened. And if that was your experience, I I don't say that to negate your experience. I'm not saying emotions are bad. I'm not saying feelings are bad. But for most of us in this room, when we prayed that prayer, we walked away. We knew something had changed, but we didn't quite know what. And I've shared my story with you. Uh, my story was simply that I was not following Jesus in my early 20s, and I found myself at the funeral of my friend, and, and he passed away way too quickly, way too early in a car accident. And knowing that I wasn't living my life for Jesus, I was sitting there listening to story after story of how my friend who did follow Jesus was trying to live his life in a way that would love God and love others. 
this self-giving love. And I knew in that moment that I was so self-obsessed and that I was living my life for myself and I really had no meaning or purpose. And in that moment, sitting there in that church, in that pew, in that funeral, the Holy Spirit came and just convicted me in my heart. And he asked me this, what, this one question, what are you doing with your life? And I didn't have an answer. And I knew in that moment, because of God's grace, his grace being that I grew up in a Christian family, I knew I needed to resurrender my life to him. But my prayer was simple. It was like, God, here's my life. Take it, use it, and make it count. But that day, I walked out of that church still struggling with anger, still struggling with selfishness, still struggling with not being able to love my wife sacrificially, still struggling with alcohol, still struggling with porn, still struggling with debt, still struggling with doubt, still struggling with sin. And Paul, talking about the Galatians, like, I, I get it. They're like, I haven't fully experienced freedom in all areas of my life yet, so maybe there is something that I need to add to this gospel in order to be in a relationship with Jesus. And knowing that, Paul is like emphatically right at the get-go, you are free. You're free. In English, these words can fall flat, like they, they lose the energy and the passion that Paul is writing with. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Galatians, wake up, you are free. For freedom, for freedom Christ freed you. Freedom is the essence of his message to the Galatians. Scholars say when it comes to chapter five, verse one, it's like this turning point. Not only is this turning point into Christian living, also they say that it's the thesis of the whole book. This is the message that Paul is trying to convey. And get that, freedom is at the core of the gospel also, you can even say. This statement, Christ has set you free, you are free, in the original language, it's trying to communicate that it's a done deal. It's a done deal. Your freedom, it's done, you have it, you've received it. It's not built on an emotion. It's not built on a feeling. It's not built on an experience. It's built on an event that transcends all of that. And that's the moment that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a perfect life, a death and was resurrected from the dead. And although, yes, we're not fully free from sin right at this moment because sin affects us as human beings, as followers of Jesus, and also affects our world, we're in this process where God is going to make all things new and he's starting with us and the Spirit's working in our lives and in our hearts to make us free in all those areas. But you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to do anything for it. All you have to do is this. Paul says this, stand firm. Remain, stand in it. He writes, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand still can be understood as remain, as I just said. Paul's going to address the core issue at hand, but before we dig into this, some of you in this, uh, here this morning need to hear this. When it comes to sanctification, which is a fancy word for the process of being made to look and act like Jesus day by day, it's just that, it's a process. And so if you feel like you haven't made it that far or if there isn't that much transformation in your life, can I encourage you, like Paul, just to remain, just abide in the gospel, allow it to speak to you even this morning in a fresh way, 
See, this is how Paul is encouraging the Galatians to get to the root of their problem, to stand firm, to, to root themselves in this gospel message. Stand firm is uh, uh, this military word. It could be understood in numerous ways. It could be understood as keep alert or be strong, resist attack, remain, fight contamination. What kind of contamination are they fighting? Well, he says it's the yoke of slavery. It's the Mosaic law. See, it was common uh, uh, in their culture, in Judaism, to talk about being under the yoke as talking about taking on the study and practice of the whole law of Moses. That's what they meant by saying, you're coming under the yoke. It was a slang. And here's what Paul is saying. Remember, remember that the true gospel is not like Jewish religion. Why? Because of this. Religion leads you to strive where the gospel leads you to abide. Religion leads you to strive where the gospel leads you to abide. Religion is all about what you do to get to God, but the gospel is everything that God did to get to you. And Paul, knowing that, is telling them, don't get caught back under that slavery. Don't get caught back under the burden of religion because to do that is to miss the point of the gospel. To truly understand the gospel, you need to understand first and foremost that it's a free gift. You can't earn it. You cannot earn it. And when you know that, you start to understand the gospel. But I don't know about you, if you notice this theme throughout the series, the circumcision theme, I started to get to the point this week as I was reading this passage where I was like, okay, Paul, we get it. But what's the big deal? Like, what is the big deal? Like, aren't we talking about heart transformation? Isn't that what we want when we talk about the gospel? So Paul, why are you so worried about something external, right? The heart is internal, but what they do to their bodies is external, right? Exactly. As one pastor says it, uh, Tim Keller in NYC, he says it like this, the gospel is first and foremost about transformation. That's different than moral reformation. The gospel is first and foremost about transformation. That's different than moral reformation. Gospel transformation happens not through striving, but through abiding. And I'll unpack that at the very end, but this is what I want you to understand this morning. Real heart transformation happens through grace, not through works. Real heart transformation happens through grace, not through works. In the words of Paul, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is reminding them, the Galatians, what the law can and can't do. What it can do is enslave you. And by using the word again, he's pointing to earlier in the letter when he compared going back under the law to their pagan idolatry that they were saved from, worshiping other gods. And what he basically said was biblical moralism and pagan idolatry are the same thing. They're the same thing. It's spiritual slavery. What are you doing? You are free, Paul is saying. What the law was always meant to do was to magnify your sin. It was given to the people of God to help them understand their sinfulness, to help them every time that they would try to fulfill it and they failed, it would help them realize and understand that they needed something outside of themselves to come and save them. They needed someone to come and fulfill it for them to fulfill the demands of the law. They needed Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus came and did. 
The law can be summed up like this, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus came to this earth and he did that perfectly. He loved God and he loved others perfectly. And not only that, he took the curse of sin upon himself and dealt with it on, in his death on the cross and his resurrection. And Paul is boldly reminding them and us, you are either saved by Christ or by the law. You're either saved by Christ or by the law. You can't have it both ways. And he writes passionately in verse 2, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, let yourselves be circumcised. Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to you, to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ, been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Underline that. You have fallen away from grace. There's tons of great stuff to work in this passage that you can look at. I encourage you to go back this week and take it apart. But falling away from grace is what I want to concentrate on for the next couple moments. What Paul is not saying, what he's not saying is that you can lose your salvation. Because how can you lose something that you haven't earned in the first place, right? He's not talking about that. What he's saying is simply works nullifies grace. Works nullify grace. To use the equation that we've been using all throughout this series, grace plus nothing equals the favor of God. Grace plus nothing equals the favor of God. You can't add a plus sign or an and to grace. If you do that, you nullify it. Because grace simply understood is getting what you don't deserve. Works and religion is obeying to move you to a place where you do deserve. Real heart transformation only happens through grace, not through the gospel, because the gospel is more about making you new than making you nice. It's not just about making you nice. It's about making you new. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he captures this thought beautifully. He writes, a world of nice people content in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, would just as desperately be in need of salvation as a miserable world. And might, get this, and might even be more difficult to save. For mere improvement is not redemption. Though redemption always improves people even here and now and will, in the end, improve them to a degree, we cannot yet imagine God became man to turn creatures into sons, not to simply produce better men of the old kind, but, but, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature, a whole new kind of being altogether. The gospel doesn't start with behavior modification. It starts with a heart transplant. Paul knows this from personal experience because remember back in chapter one when he was giving his testimony, he followed the law. He was in Judaism. He followed the law to a T, so much so that he was progressing above and beyond people his own age. But that didn't help him. That didn't transform him. Transformation only began when grace invaded his life in the person of Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's the moment that Paul went from Saul to being Paul. He knows that from personal experience, and I know that from personal experience. 
You know, I grew up in a Christian family, as I said. I thought I understood this concept of grace. But not to my knowing, it was only a head-level knowledge that I understood it. And I say that because I told you earlier, when I became a follower of Jesus, when I re-surrendered my life to him, I still struggled with porn. I still struggled with porn. And it was addiction that started in grade six for me, and it worked its way up for me in my life for 11 years, up to one point eight years ago. Eight years ago. It was a Sunday service like this one. And it was about a year or so into my first pastoral uh, role at a church in BC. And I was helping lead worship, and I was playing guitar. And after the sermon, I, I was getting up on stage to play guitar when I remember the Holy Spirit just convict me in that moment and tell me that you have to go and tell the senior pastor that you're struggling with this sin. And in that moment, I just started arguing with God because I was like, no, there's no way that I'm going to do that. I'm going to lose my job, and that's the only thing I know how to do, and I'm providing for my family right now. And I just started arguing and arguing and making up excuse after excuse after excuse. And God gently, after I was done with all my excuses, just reminded me and told me, like, you know, you need to go and confess. And so by the power of the Spirit, knowing that God's grace in retrospect was working on my heart, was moving me. I put down that guitar. I walked to that front row. I sat down next to the pastor, took a deep breath in, and just started confessing. Just started telling him that I've been struggling with this for the last 11 years, and I don't know what to do. And I say it like that because... That's what I, I, I went about in my own strength, trying to figure out solution after solution. I read every book on the topic of how to get rid of this addiction. I put accountability software in. I got accountability around me. And those are all great things. Those are all great things, but not by themselves. And in that moment, as I sat there next to the senior pastor and started confessing my sin to him, I'll never forget what he told me. He just stopped no condemnation, no guilt, just a smile on his face, put his hand on my shoulder and was like, Ben, you know why God is dealing with this sin right now in this moment in your life? He wants you to confess because he doesn't want this sin to mess with your calling. He doesn't want this sin to burden you any longer. And I don't remember what he prayed for me. I don't remember what he said. All I remember is in that moment, God's presence just overwhelmed me. I started weeping. But at a deep level, I understood grace for the very first time. And I wish that was everybody's experience in this room this morning when it comes to an addiction. But I know it probably won't be. But I'll say this. If you come to me and ask me to pray for you, I will pray. I will pray with the faith, knowing that our God is the same yesterday and forever, and he has the power to do it. He has the power to heal you. He has the power to, to transform you, and that's the message. Grace transforms. And after walking out of that service that day eight years ago, I've never struggled with porn ever again. And that's the power of the gospel. And this is how it leads to true transformation. This is how it leads to true freedom. Paul goes on in verse 5 and 6 and says this, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision 
nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Did you catch that? Anybody else, like, really confused right now? Like, Paul, what are you talking about? Like, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision? I thought you, you were just going after these guys, trying to get them to not get circumcised, and now you're saying that neither matters. Like, what are you saying? What are you doing? To understand this, I want to do a little exercise, okay? So let's take the word circumcision and let's replace it with the word religion. So circumcision equals religion, okay? Let's take the word uncircumcision and let's replace it with non-religion or non-religious, okay? So circumcision equals religion, uncircumcision equals non-religious, okay? And now we need to understand this word value. In the original language, the word value means to not have power. That's it, simply, to not have power. So let's put it all together, okay? Put it all together in the light of the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. If you are religious or non-religious, it has no power. If you're religious or non-religious, it has no power. Because remember, he's not just talking to men in the community of Galatia. He's talking to women too. If you're religious or non-religious, it has no power. No power to do what? Has no power to establish you in a relationship with God. Listen. You could be here and you could have given your life to Jesus when you were four, or you can be sitting here and you're an atheist. You could have saved yourself till marriage, or you could be living a promiscuous life. You could have never sipped a sip of alcohol in your life, or you've been getting drunk every weekend since you've become legal. You could be sitting here and have gone to church every day of your life, or you could be sitting here and this is the first time you're ever in church. You could be sitting here and you maybe give 30% of your salary every year to the offering or you have never given more than two quarters in the lint in your pocket. Maybe you're here and you've been serving in Sanctus Kids every other week for the last five years or since you've been coming to this church, you have never served ever in any position. It doesn't matter. Neither has power to get you into a relationship with Jesus. Good performance, bad performance, we all stand equally lost. Yet, we all stand equally in a place that we're able to be saved from. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith. That's what Paul's trying to get at. That's what Paul's trying to get you to hear. Faith in Christ is the only thing that counts. Real heart transformation happens through grace, through faith, initiated by the Spirit, both opening your eyes to the gospel, God's love, and the truth that that's all you need. Circumcision was never the issue. Circumcision was never the issue. What's the issue? The issue that Paul's trying to get at is the reason. What's the reason? What's your motivation? Why do you obey the law? Is the reason that you're trying to obey the law because you want to win God's favor? Because the law is not a bad thing. He's going to get to that in verse 14. He's actually going to sum up the law as this, to love, love one another. And we know that's not a bad thing. But here Paul reveals to us the heart and the key to true freedom. What is the reason? Is the reason to gain God's love? Is the, is the reason you obey to gain God's favor? Or is the reason because you love God, because you understand how much he loves you? 
Ask yourself, what, what's the reason? What's your motivation? Is it fear? Is it fear if, if, that, if you don't obey, God won't love you? That's slavery. Going back under the law is going back to enslave yourself to fear. Or is it love? Love is a joyful self-giving. Love becomes our motivation when we realize this truth found in 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. It's the divine initiative that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's this act of grace that both makes it possible and provokes our love. And I love how one author puts it. He says, note John's extraordinary, beautiful claim. It's not just that we love God because he first loved us, but that we love because he first loved us. This is true freedom. The only true freedom that we all long for, it's gospel freedom because it's an all-encompassing reality. It's an all-encompassing freedom that sets us free from fear. And this is how one pastor describes it. Gospel freedom has two facets. There is a conscious freedom. I'm free from guilt of my imperfect performance. And there's a motivational freedom. I'm free from the old drive to perform. I no longer need or want to follow the old pursuits as ways to win my righteousness, my right standing with God, or assure myself of worth, of worth. And some of you need to hear this, and I'm hoping that it sets you free, that you have incredible, extreme worth in the eyes of God. Christ valued you so much, not because of anything that you could bring to the relationship with him. You have no benefit to him. Yet he sent his son to die for your sins, to set you free and to make a way into a relationship with him. That's how much you're worth. And when you realize that in a deep level, when you realize God's grace, that energizes your love so that, get this, full circle, you can fulfill the law. So that you can fulfill the law, which is self-giving love. A love where you love God and you love others in a self-giving way. Why? Because if you're stuck in fear, if you're enslaved to fear, what does fear do? It continually makes you self-obsessed. You continually wrestle and struggle and wrestle with, okay, am I good enough? Am I doing the right thing? Am I living my life in the right way? And you have no capacity to think about others before yourself. Loving God and loving others only happens through the Spirit empowering you. And we're going to talk about that next week, how that happens, how, does that, how do we walk in step with the Spirit. But some of you this week, you need to walk away from this service, walk away from this moment, and cultivate that love. That's where you need to start. And I'm not talking about walking away from here and going, okay, how can I love God more? because that defeats the point of this whole message, because that's going back to your own strength, that's going back to figuring out how to do it in yourself, by yourself. No, what you need to do is abide. Abide in the gospel. For me, that simply looks like practicing the discipline of silence and solitude. And that, for me, is 10 minutes. I try to hit it every day, but I put 10 minutes on my watch. I sit in quiet. I sometimes put earplugs in. And I just sit there and I allow this phrase to just repeat itself in my mind. 
And it's this phrase, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Or you're my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And I know that that statement is true of me because of the gospel, because when Jesus died on the cross for me, and I surrender my life to him. My life is now hidden in Christ. And now when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees his perfection. He sees his righteousness. He sees his holiness. That's the gospel. Brothers of you, you need to ask yourself this question this morning. What's motivating you? Is it works or grace? Is it fear or love? And no matter where you're at, just be really honest with yourself. Because as a pastor, I was wrestling with this passage, and the Holy Spirit this week, as I was studying, brought to mind, okay, what's your motivation for trying to write a good sermon? And I, saw deb I stopped dead in my tracks, and I was like, is it for the glory of God? Or is it because of fear and insecurity that I want affirmation from my community? And I thank God for that moment. Why? Because that's his grace. Again, working on my heart, making me more like Jesus. But I say that because you can be the most religious person in this room this morning, yet still have the wrong heart motivation. You can base it on your performance. And it's easy to slip back into that mindset. Why? Because we live in a culture that's all about performance. It's all about achievement. It's all about hustle. And you're a product of your surrounding, your environment. That's why we need biblical community. That's why you need to get into God's word, the Bible, in order to rewire the way that you think. And knowing that, I walked into service last Sunday in our Bowenville campus, because that's where I live. And I was just beating myself up because I had a bad week in my devotional life, didn't practice spiritual disciplines, didn't pray enough. And I just remember this one line in John's sermon that just hit me. Is it real faith about, is real faith about promise or performance? And I just sat back. I was like, dang, I'm making it about performance again. So I went to uh, one of my friends that I'm getting to know in that Bowenville campus. His name's Ryan. And I confessed. And I told him what the struggle was going on inside of me. And I asked him to pray for me. Why do I say that? Well, this is what I want to create a space for in the next couple moments. We're gonna sing a song first, and in that moment, I want you to reflect on what is motivating you, or even ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But after the song, as we always end our service, the prayer team's gonna come forward, and what I wanna do is create a space for confession. And it's not because the prayer team has special powers or not because they're the only ones that can absolve you from your sin. No, you could sit right in your seat, ask for forgiveness, and God will forgive you. But why confession? Because confession attacks pride, the root of all sin, and therefore provides a pathway toward humble submission to God's redemptive work. Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Christian leader, he, he put it like this. It's in confession that the, the, that the believer joins in the cross-shaped reality of true discipleship, dying in humiliation to oneself and rising to newness of life and the reality of forgiveness. Meaning, 
Though sin thrives in isolation, confession provides a setting that exposes sin so that it may be healed. James 5, 16 puts it like this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is true Christian community, a collection of sinners saved by grace, drawn together at the foot of the cross as redeemed sinners. So as we end this morning, I want you to listen to the invitation of Jesus to you. He wants you to listen to these words as if he's saying it to you this morning. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 in the message version. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. So God, we just, we just open up our hearts to you. Knowing that your spirit's working and speaking and moving and convicting. God, for some of us in this room, I pray that we wouldn't miss this opportunity to experience total freedom that comes through the gospel. So Holy Spirit, move us to respond. Move us to be real with ourselves, to be honest. Knowing that you only discipline us, you only show the dark areas of our hearts because you love us. You want to transform us. You want us to fully embrace this total freedom that you paid the price for on the cross. So God, in these next couple moments, will you cultivate a love in our hearts that we would love God not for what he brings us, but because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.